Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am a part of Gestalt IT. And each time we meet, we bring to you some of the opinions and discussion topics of IT luminaries across the enterprise space around a variety of topics. I'd like to take a moment for our guests today to introduce themselves before we jump into today's premise, starting with Calvin. Hey, my name is Calvin Hendricks Parker. I'm with Six Feet Up. You can find me on Twitter at CalvinHP, and our blog is at sixfeetup.com slash blog. All right, and Ather? Hi, I'm Ather Baig. I'm an enterprise solutions architect. Um, I focus on both private and public cloud environments, infrastructure mainly. And you can find me on my blog, atharbaig.com, and my Twitter handle is also atharbaig. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Let's dive into the premise of today's episode. With a couple of great cloud architects, you already know that we're going to be talking about cloud. And one of the hottest topics out there is multi-cloud. Everywhere I go, I keep hearing about how important and advantageous it is for us Mm -hmm. to be moving into multi-cloud. As a matter of fact, I even recorded a recent episode of conversations about multi-cloud. And one of the things that I brought up is that a lot of people are trying to find justifications to do multi-cloud without really needing it. And one of the most common justifications that I hear is high availability. If I deploy my application to more than one cloud, then I'm going to be fault tolerant and resilient, and I'm never going to go down, and my customers are going to love it. And I think that that's a load of crap because fault tolerance is the worst reason to try to justify multi-cloud. So when we were doing the uh, the warm-up for this, I, we started getting a lot of good opinions about this. I'm actually going to start off with Ather first. Ather, do you believe that high availability is a good justification to go multi-cloud? Uh, to be fair, some might actually prefer that. But in my view, I don't think that uh, high availability alone or specifically is, is a good reason to do multi-cloud. My view is, and I've, I've worked with customers where they've done multi-cloud for other good reasons. Uh, one reason being, for example, um, them having applications that actually work better on one cloud than the other. So they have applications that work better on specific clouds. And for that reason, or specific, specifically skilled teams who actually are very proficient in that particular cloud. So they want to take advantage of it and uh, deploy their applications in those clouds um, as needed. So that would, uh, would be a very good reason to go multi-cloud. Okay. I, yeah. I mean, I, I can see the argument for that is, you know, there's, there's a lot of other reasons. And more often than not, cost is usually the reason. That, that's what people are really secretly not wanting to say is, I'm not doing this because it's super technically advanced and, and, and wonderful. It's because I'm a cheapskate. Uh, now, Calvin, what are your thoughts? I, I think it's, I think that they're going to head the other direction. It's going to be way more expensive to accomplish this. Plus, Ather brought up a good point about skill sets. How many unicorns are you going to find that have that robust of a skill set in multiple clouds simultaneously? So finding the talent to be able to manage a multi-cloud and, and manage that set of complexities to really make that work across two public clouds or public cloud, private cloud, I think is it's kind of crazy to think that that's feasible. Although I, I see them trying it. They think that this is the enterprise way to go uh, to have across, I need to split my my risk across two, two clouds. But what, what's your real gain there? Uh, I think you're just adding more complexity onto the stack. You're adding more, more points of failure, trying to add in less points of failure uh, because there's just more moving pieces to manage. And I don't think it's, it's, there's so much 
to the the cloud native environment these days to keep in your in one developer's head or one DevOps head that they're going to fail uh, miserably trying to do it to to do it with any kind of grace. I don't think that that's, that point can be understated enough that people seem to think that if you put things in two different clouds, that it is magically fault tolerant and it's not. <laughs> and I can prove this to you. I want you to go take your last reliable backup that you got from any one of your systems. Now I want you to deploy that backup onto a completely different set of hardware. Like you can even keep the same operating system. I just want you to take it from a Dell server and deploy it on an HP server, like a bare metal backup. You let me know how that goes. I'll be back in a week. And if you've got it working, it'll be a miracle. Now multiply that by about 10,000 and that's multi-cloud because it is not easy to take all of the skill set from one hyper-specialized system and move it over to another and just assume that workloads are going to fail from one direction to the other on their own. Right. And, and that, that's ahead, why Adam. I wanted to say that, you know, right from the start that Fault tolerance or high availability may not be the best reason for that. And yes, you're completely right. You won't be able to run the same. So for example, why, how would you be able to restore those the EC2 instances on Azure? Maybe an operating system level backup might restore. Um, but the point is that I'm not talking about such customers, some such use cases. What I'm talking about is where the organization does have those teams and they may not be necessarily dealing with the same kind of application stacks or even, you know, applications. Um, uh, I've worked with customers and especially, I mean, I'm not talking about smaller teams, smaller customers. I'm talking about larger organizations who actually do not only, there is some sort of um, strategic um, decision as well in the sense of, um, they don't want to completely tie themselves down to one cloud, but it's not about that specifically. It's more about where, um, so for example, um, they have this inbuilt belief, for example, that one cloud might be good with machine learning uh, and, and um, intelligence, artificial intelligence type stuff. So, so their workloads will run on that. Whereas they can also, or they want to take advantage of um, so for example, um, just infrastructure, right? Uh, and their infrastructure works better or integrates well uh, with um, another cloud. Um, I can actually tell you one specific reason why certain organizations with a certain kind of operating system licensing want to go to a certain cloud, right? And it works a lot better for them in terms of cost. Uh, in fact, that's their selling point pretty much. So. Yeah. In that specific scenario, they definitely go for multi-cloud because in some cases I've seen have uh, thousands or millions worth saved in just licensing costs alone. Yeah, but I see, I see enterprises now, they're, you're basically crippling yourself or tying one hand behind your back to try and accomplish that because you now have to go to the least common denominator and instead of being able to, lever to leverage the cloud native components of one cloud to their more fullest extent, you have to make sure you're running straight VMs and you have to do configuration management and all the other pieces to bring up the components of your applications where I could just be running in, in the AWS, like the RDS for my databases, be using uh, ALBs or ELBs for my load balancers. And I'm not worried about configuring those things on my own, you know, doing handcrafting every piece of this pipeline that delivers my application. I want to be able to innovate and to be able to innovate at speed, I want to not worry about those pieces of the, of the infrastructure equation. I want to be able to just deploy my application, 
deal with the app part of it. I mean, containers has helped tremendously here, but even running containers don't just go cross cloud. You've got different configuration preferences and scaling properties between the various Kubernetes, hosted Kubernetes options that are in each of the clouds. So I don't think you can even run a container cross cloud successfully without having a lot of overhead to try and do it. But my, my point basically is to why do you need to in all cases? Because right, right. like I said, if your applications and your teams and your skills are completely separate, so for example, in a silo, apart from authentication mechanisms um, or those kind of things where things do overlap, um, the rest of the things can be separated, especially in cases where your teams are used to, for example, running automated systems or right. I deployments. See one, one issue with that, if you are doing talking about like MLAI, uh, big data, if you're trying to use multi-cloud to do that, you're going to be paying a lot in transfer. I think everyone knows that the cloud providers, they really get you on transfer. And so that's a really key way for them to basically say, you know, you can do that. Great. But you're going to pay a lot of money to get the data from over there to over here but and back again. What's, what's to say that you have to transfer that resultant data to the other cloud? Why can't you have it in the same cloud? Because it's all about the results, right? Right. And you can have results handled in the same cloud, whereas the other cloud is running completely different applications and different purposes. I don't, I don't disagree. I think that's kind of a, an optimistic, rosy view. I think there's going to be a lot of messiness going between the two clouds where maybe all the different teams and departments aren't coordinating what data they need to have in each place. And so you're going to have to have more orchestration of the people and where they're going to put their data for their applications to really optimize your costs. I don't disagree that there are definitely clouds that are better at like an AI ML solution than others. And you may want to leverage that, but I think that does, does that, is it really that much better or should you work on tuning and running your own models in the cloud that maybe is less tuned to having like the, the AI as a service bit ready for you to go? And, and I think the, the main reason for doing so, those kind of two things, you know, having multiple clouds to deal with is uh, I see two main reasons, like I was mentioning. One is when a particular application that they want to run, the organization and their teams are very skilled in that. And they have trust that whatever they want to do is actually completely without fail, the reason why they would want to go to that cloud. And the other is actually when they determine that the, the workload is so big that if they run it on that particular cloud, they get more cloud economics out of it. Um, so in those bigger cases, and when thousands of whatever currency you deal with is involved, or sometimes millions, it does make it worth do the effort or deal with the complexity where you your savings are substantial. And uh, that's one of the bigger drivers for accepting that complexity, as you put it. Mm -hmm. So let me ask this question, because this is, I mean, you guys have done a really great job of debating all of the reasons why I should potentially look at multi-cloud. And it sounds like the very first thing we said was, ah, who cares about fault tolerance? Because as you brought up, like, you know, you, your skill set can't split between two different clouds. Your, your data transfer costs are going to skyrocket if you're trying to move things back and forth between clouds. There's a lot of things. Well, if that's the case, then why does everybody tell me that, oh, well, I'm doing this because I, I want to be fault tolerant, because I want to make sure that, that nothing is going to happen when, when Amazon goes down. And worse yet, when I ask them, oh, okay, so you, you have two instances running in US East one and US West one. And they go, well, no, 
no, I'm gonna I'm gonna run it in Azure and AWS at the same time. <laughs> like, why why are they so hell bent on making multi cloud their solution to whatever problem they've got when they won't even take advantage of the fault tolerance in the one cloud they're running? That that, that baffles me as well. I, I, I again, it's it's very easy to configure these systems these days with tools like Terraform or CloudFormation or whatever technology maybe that that specific cloud gives you to be able to deploy automatically across multiple availability zones, even in one region, uh, never, nevertheless using another region and having that replication. A lot of the, the cloud providers, if you leverage their native tools, again, I'm not one for like maybe getting vendor locked in into a specific cloud, but I will say there's a lot of advantages to using the tools that are just provided to you by that cloud vendor. I mean, being able to replicate an RDS database automatically to another uh, uh, region, that's, I mean, check the, literally check the box and your data is sitting in another region ready for you to warm up and go. Uh, another thing, thing people talk about with the high availability that they don't talk about and should be is really mean time to recovery. Uh, I think as much as effort I've seen go into trying to make things highly available, you could have done half the effort in making the recovery time faster and probably had less failures and been back online quicker because of the complexity that goes into truly building a highly available system. Yeah, and and I agree with that because uh, cloud so the tools native to the cloud, an example of where an organization may or should be taking advantage of the tools that are natively built into and the fault tolerance natively built into those cloud uh, environments because they've invested a lot of money, uh, a lot of technology and infrastructure to provide you with those services. So that's one thing that you should be first looking into, but also from like to the to the point about the recovery, if you are actually designing not keeping those or not taking advantage of those facilities that are available to you, and actually trying to look at multi-cloud as the solution rather than <laughs> better design, then that definitely is not the way to go. This is if if that's the arguments being presented, that um, I also can't understand it. Um, I think more effort should be put into actually investigating which tools you should be using and how to better design your environment rather than going multi-cloud just for fault tolerance. Right. I feel like you see a lot of times folks throwing tools at the problem and more tools are not the answer. I think you need to simplify and understand how it truly should be delivered as opposed to like, oh, we can buy some off the shelf tool that claims it'll give us extra nines of availability. I will also say they're probably lying to you. Um, you need to be able to recover a system fast if I, if I can have a total outage in a whole region on AWS, which is also very unlikely, but have my data sitting warm in another region, and I, all I have to do is spin up my VMs or my containers to start serving the data, I'm back on, online in minutes, if not less. I mean, that makes sense to me. And that's one of those things that I feel like it's, the only way you can get executives to pay attention to what you want to do is not, I'm going to spend less money, or in some cases, I'm going to spend more money, or I'm going to need more teams to manage this. It's our things won't go down. And but they needed to be big, and they needed to be flashy, and they needed to be cool. Because let's be fair, most of the people who say they're doing multi cloud, if you pin them down on what they're actually doing, can't tell you what they're doing in multi cloud. It's those surveys that get sent out to the executives at the companies, by all the analyst firms who are like, are you doing multi cloud? Yes or no? Do you know which clouds you're doing multi-cloud in? 
because a lot of the things that I've seen from the practitioner side also are accidental multi-cloud deployments. It's like, oh, hey, we had everything that we standardized over here in AWS, and then all of a sudden we needed to pull in this database that only runs on Oracle. Well, crap, now we're a multi-cloud company we didn't really want to be. <laughs> and so, you know, that, and like you mentioned, Calvin, that increases your fault tolerance footprint because what happens like you know and we've seen this multiple times over the, even the last year when we've been relying on cloud is like what happens when us east one goes down and suddenly a whole bunch of services just blink out because we didn't realize that we were utilizing them you know like dynamic dns so does does the the accidental multi-cloud problem even belie the the fault tolerance more by saying, you know, hey, we've we've done a great job of deploying to all these availability zones and we have our application going on and all of their stuff, but we can't be 100% fault tolerant because we rely on this one thing over here in the corner of the world that yeah. we have to have. They have to refactor. You have to you have to look at your your design of that application and then refactor that piece out. I really wish that I had a pair of pearls that I could clutch right now. So basically what you're telling me is I have to go back to my developers and tell them to rewrite their code to not be a shoddy piece of Yes, Bill? absolutely. This is the developer <laughs> speaking in the room. Uh, I, yes. I, I think there's a lot of value in that. I think a lot of times people, they will uh, hold on to their code like it's so valuable, but they need to be willing to refactor. I think that they need to be willing to move their code into a modern era. You can start by lifting and shifting your applications out of the you know data center into a cloud, but you can be paying more unless you refactor that code to use the native tools that are in those clouds. Yes, and uh, I completely wholeheartedly agree that you know uh, if you're going to a public cloud environment, then you should be looking at refactoring now. Yeah. But I would also say that you know that in reality, um, a lot of organizations, especially if the code that we are talking about has been written like I don't know in the 80s or something like that, <laughs> then companies are very very uh, hesitant in actually touching it even with a barge pole, and they they basically just try to live with it which is unfortunate, but true. And I've seen many organizations actually just lifting and shifting to mm -hmm. um, say uh, VMware cloud environments, just up in the cloud, just and keep it there for that reason. You guys are making me want to sit back in a rocking chair and like stroke a big long white beard and go back in my day when developers didn't want to rewrite their applications to run in two separate data centers, I had to do things like vMotion and layer two data center interconnect yeah. because yeah. apps don't understand how to work when an IP address changes. And now, you know, the developers, the grownups in the room are saying, yeah, you got to rewrite everything because it needs to actually be able to survive a hit like that. And I can't tell you how many times someone's told me, oh, well, you know, our code is, you know, it needs to be more like Netflix. I'm like, do you understand the <laughs> amount of engineering that goes into how Netflix can survive US East one going down? And the amount of test coverage that their their developers have put into making sure that if they do refactor a piece of code, they're sure it's going to work. Yeah. Well, somebody was asking me the other day about something like chaos engineering. It's like, how do, what do you feel about that? I'm like, yeah, Netflix is crazy enough to let a little script run around in their system and wreck things on purpose because they're, they know their code is really tight. That is like a, a completely different level of fault tolerance. It's not just deploying to multiple clouds. It's saying this thing is so bulletproof. I'm going to let you take the wheels off of it while it's driving yeah. and it's going to work. And I don't think any company in the world aside from maybe Netflix and two or three others that is thinking in those terms that goes out and goes, Oh, you know, our code is as good as Netflix. Uh-uh. No, it's not. I don't care if you've deployed one thing on GCE and one thing over here on a little AWS instance, 
that doesn't make you fault tolerant unless your yeah. application knows how to work between yep. the two. That's 100% true. Um, I think the applications need to be able to be released to hundreds of times a day. Uh, there's not these release parties on the weekends, you know, where you get everyone on a conference bridge. Uh, the application code, the changes need to be small. The changes need to be frequent. They need to be able to roll out in a moment's notice so that the, a bug is detected or if an outage starts to precipitate through the environment because of a code change. It has to be minutes to seconds that you can get that change back out. And then at that point, you you can now run anywhere you want with this code because it can it can react and heal or at least recover very, very quickly. Yeah. And that that is basically nirvana, isn't it? I mean, it that's, is. that's the kind of thing that you're basically looking for. Um, and again, you know, I keep bring, going back to the customers I normally work with, uh, which are mainly enterprise customers, but even in those organizations, even though they are striving to get there, that's what their end goal is. Um, again, in reality, what I see most of the cases is that they haven't actually reached it. Um, they aim to get there one day, but they are currently in some part of their organization, even if it's like small applications or bigger ones, um, they are not completely have, they don't have automated pipelines in that sense. Well, then they um, shouldn't be in multiple, multiple clouds. If they can't get an automated pipeline, they cannot be, you're not allowed to be in multiple clouds simultaneously. Well, I I actually separate both of those out uh, in yeah. the sense that, you know, if, for example, again, it's, it's, it's not about just automated deployment that actually makes them go to the, as I was saying earlier, I mean, there are their own ways of doing things. If their teams can deal with manually the infrastructure, they're quite happy to do that um, because of the savings and uh, the other benefits they're reaping. Um, it's, it's, it's like I said, I mean, it's not about just having to or being able to deploy in an automated and cloud native fashion. Um, that's not a requirement to be in the cloud, is it? I mean, realistically speaking, as long no, as you can operate to, it properly to, take, to, to your service levels, it should yeah, be fine. Yeah, to tr truly take advantage of it, though, I think you, you had better be, or you should just be back in the data center on bare metal. You're going to save more money on infrastructure, uh, but you're going to be spending a lot more money on human capital to be able to manage that infrastructure. It's an argument, and like I said, it's it's an idealistic view, and uh, I'm pretty sure that all organizations want to go there and get there at one day. But reality again is that many are, well, almost none are at that stage. Very few are. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about Googles or Netflixes of this world, then yes, they will be in that situation. They practically have developed these products and and their methods, but but in reality, most of the organizations are are far from it. At this and point. maybe and maybe that's the problem. Maybe that, like you know, like you guys have alluded to, it's not multi-cloud that makes you fault tolerant. It's all of the things you have to build on the back end to get you to the point where you can be deployed on multi-cloud that make you fault tolerant. It's you know, it's the you know, the old adage of you know, doing a process and then having a, a, a thing you have to do before you can even do the process. And it turns out that the process before what you did is really the hard part. And people just assume that because that was the last step, that that's the magic where everything happens. And people just want to jump there because they read a report that says multi-cloud is you know 25% more available than any other thing. And they immediately look at the bottom line instead of seeing all the line items above it. It's like, oh yeah, I have an automated deployment line my, and I have multiple teams that are capable of doing this. And I can do 20, 30, 50, 100 code commits a day without crashing my system. If they would start at the beginning 
of the journey. Instead of wanting to get right to the end, maybe they would solve their availability problems along the way, as well as reducing all of their costs mm -hmm. and, and finding better ways to code their applications. But we're just a results-driven society that wants the wants the the end result right now without having to do any of the hard work. It's it's every fad diet you've ever seen, and maybe that's the problem. Multi-cloud is essentially I think a it fad is. diet. It's a fad diet. I, I think that you, you need to do the hard work up front, like you said, to to make the foundation for where you're building your application. The benefits more than just recovery time and availability are going to be developer satisfaction. Uh, those developers are going to be a lot happier not slogging through a bunch of tech debt, old systems, archaic code, legacy systems. If you can give them an opportunity or at least a light at the end of the tunnel that we can start building toward modern processes using modern tools, uh, actually reducing the amount of code in our code base you know, along the way because there's better frameworks today. There are better tools for packaging and deploying the applications into containers. There's better tools for managing the orchestration of the infrastructure itself, like Kubernetes or Terraform and things like that. There's there's so much better tooling out there. I think a lot of these other engineers probably would just be lo lovely to have Git. They would love to get mm -hmm. to that point. <laughs> yeah, and, and and like I would say, absolutely agree with all these sentiments. Um, um, what happens uh, is that, you know, like I said, organizations want to get there. Um, but, you know, what do you do about that um, uh, head of the organization who goes to a particular conference and says, well, I want to be in the cloud in six months, right? All my applications should be running there. And they don't really are thinking about how difficult it would be to refactor all those applications, get everyone trained up and all those kind of things and do the best job ever to start with. All they care about is that you know they should go to the cloud in like the next six months they should be there so a lot of organizations end up you just lifting and shifting and say well okay we'll refactor some other day and that never another day never comes yeah, or never at least comes. it takes a very long time to do it um and and unfortunately most organizations are in that situation um i have seen i must say that i have seen some organizations who actually started doing it later on um but obviously their priority once they lift and shift is to get it everything stabilized and you know and that takes a while uh, before they start well properly refactoring and, and i think maybe that's the problem is that so much of the hype that we're seeing is that you have to do this you need to be in the cloud in six months or you're failing at business or worse you're a publicly traded company and your investors tell you that you need to move to the cloud and next quarter they penalize your stock price because you don't. And that causes people to scramble. It is last minute solutions to impossible problems created by other people. And the way that we fix those is not fixing process, training people better. It's you have an unlimited budget to go buy a tool to lift and shift everything into the cloud. And while you're at it, they told me that you need to be in more than one in case something happens. So just do it in both and we'll fix the problem later. And you can just see the gigantic roll of cloud-shaped duct tape that's being stretched out to paste over the top of this stuff until someone forgets about it. And then it becomes this massive pile of technical debt that your team has left and the new guys don't know what to do. So they redeploy it to another cloud because that's the easiest solution. And, and maybe that's the problem ultimately is that nobody cares enough to answer the question why do we need to go multi-cloud? Not should we, why 
should we? And, yeah. it, and it's almost like, you know, the, the old stories of the Roman triumphs where they had someone riding in the chariot with the general going famous fleeting and, and you, you are not as good as you think you are. The CEO needs somebody to walk behind him at these trade shows and go, you know, multi-cloud is important. No, it's not. You need to move to multi-cloud. No, you don't. <laughs> so who would be the brave yeah, person? Yeah, who's, who who's, yeah, I don't know. I volunteer. I volunteer as tribute, <laughs> mostly because it's easier to change their mind right after the analyst gets a hold of them and tells them how important this is than after they've been on the plane for the last seven hours reading Forbes articles about how important multi-cloud is, and they just won't get it out of their brain. But I mean, ultimately, so yeah, I mean, I think we've shot this premise completely to death that HA and fault <laughs> tolerance is the worst reason to go to multi-cloud. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose this question to both of you gentlemen. If you had to pick one, and only one reason is the justification to do multi-cloud. What would it be, Ather? So um, I think uh, if you have the skills and the knowledge uh, to run your apps in a particular cloud um, and support it well for your customers or internal customers, uh, then I think that would be one valid reason to go multi-cloud. The, the valid reason for me for going multi-cloud is going to be specialized services. If you need something like Bigtable or if you need AutoML, GCP is going to be where it's at. If you are looking at the SageMaker tools and you've got specialization, maybe get back to skills there too. But there's definitely some pieces in certain clouds where maybe it runs better, faster. You're going to get a better result for less money in that other cloud, then I would do it. But otherwise, I think it'd be worth looking at your design of your application and getting back into leveraging one cloud. I would say, let's just be honest with yourself. The real reason that you want to go multi-cloud is because you're a cheapskate and because you want to have numbers on the bottom line that are hard numbers that you can pull from the internet and not related to how much in time you're investing in your teams and how much tooling you're having to invest and how much refactoring your code you're going to have to do. Because quite honestly, those resources are sunk costs and you don't care about yeah, them. Yeah, I don't know, Tom, you get what you pay for. You're going to get what I, you I pay know. for. But, but let's be fair. <laughs> It's the worst, it's the second worst reason because we all know yeah. that high availability yeah, yeah. is the worst reason. It's the <laughs> second worst reason to do it, but it's the most honest reason for most people because that's what they're gonna say anyway. Yeah. Well, right, in well, case of licensing, it might actually be true. Yeah. Like I said, I've seen millions being saved that way. I think that's up to the people to do the investigative work to actually justify their multi-cloud strategy instead of using the cherry-picked checkbox at the top that says high availability. All right. Well, that will just about do it for this episode. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in, each and every one of you. We appreciate your viewership and your listenership. If you would like to find the latest episode of our on-premise IT roundtable, please head over to the website, gestaltit.com slash podcast, where you can find our episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast feed and your po favorite podcast application of choice. And if you do, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and a review because people really do read those things and it really helps them decide if this is their particular S3 bucket of choice to listen to. Um, but we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, I've got some refactoring that I need to do around here. But for our great guests and for our Gestalt IT community, I want to thank you very much for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.